0: What is up, everybody? It's your pal Sig Neutron here with another episode of Spewtron, and I'm actually really excited for this episode because I sit down with my friend Diana Banks, who is the sweetest and most wonderful person. And just to give you a little bit of backstory and context for our conversation, uh, Diana is self-described as a male-to-female transsexual, and I, at this point, I kind of, I, I guess I identify as non-binary, although I'm still figuring out uh, just, there's a lot to wade through, not just personally, but also societally. And there's just many layers to this. So I just, it's so incredible that Diana and I can have the types of conversations that we have, we can have because we both are coming from uh, set the, our own personal perspectives. And in, in our conversations, I feel like we, I mean, I personally, I can speak that I have found healing from talking with Diana and uh, I'm so excited to talk more. And I feel like people can find healing in our conversations as well. Uh, and also another, we didn't get to talk about it on the episode, but, uh, Diana and, and we talk about a lot of like spirituality and stuff when we hang out. And interestingly <laughs> enough, um, Diana, at the last time we talked, identifies as Christian, but in the past we actually went to like satanic events, and um, you know we discuss like all aspects of spirituality. So Diana is like super open-minded, and uh, I think I really want to have Diana back for like a reoccurring guest, and because uh, we can have like all kinds of incredible conversations. But this one we just kind of like, as Diana put it, crack the egg and discuss a wide range of uh, trans topics and like the trans umbrella. And um, we we didn't even get to like half the stuff we wanted to, but what we did get to, I think, is important. And uh, like I said, we're going to do a lot of these episodes. So for your listening pleasure, uh, I'm Sig Neutron, and this is Sig Neutron. What's up everybody? It is your pal Signeutron and I'm here for an episode of Sputron that I'm actually really excited uh, to do. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. I'm here with my dearest friend Diana.
1: Hello, hello. So good to be here.
0: Yeah and uh, we we've known each other for a while now.
1: Yeah it's been going on three years. Yeah. We met through Erica uh-huh. so that's probably been three years ago. We sat at this table and played games and talk trash it was a lot of fun (laughs)
0: yeah and diana is one of the most like sweetest wonderful people that i have
1: ever met likewise (laughs) likewise we're two peas in a pod honey
0: yeah and so we're going to talk this is i think this is going to be the start of a series because we're definitely there's so much that we want to talk about that we're not going to get to at all but i think we're going to talk about like all things trans, and probably blossom out into just, like, LGBTQ issues, and, you know, just, like, the whole umbrella of things, because there's so much happening now, whether it's legislation or just, like, communities, and, you know, I, I'm figuring myself out later in life, and as I do that, I try to find my way into the, the LGBTQ plus community, but I've, I've actually, like, had a, a difficulty I think finding uh, the right community I guess for me let's if you want just give us a, like some background uh, about you and then uh, and then we'll go from there
1: all right well I think the only way to do it is to jump into it uh, my name's Diana um 50 years old and I am technically what's called a male to female transsexual uh, I transitioned at the age of 44. So I totally get what you mean by starting later in life. And there's a lot of talk right now in the media about all things quote unquote trans. And I hold some rather unpopular uh, opinions, uh, but I've only begun to hold those opinions probably in the last two years. In the last two years, I've undergone a radical shift in how I view these things. And I think having lived through the experience, you obviously get a much deeper perspective on it. So some of it's been good, some of it's been bad. The good thing is um, I can honestly say that my transition's the best thing that I've ever done in my life. It literally saved my life. And when I first transitioned, I started this support group and then it got so large and so successful, we had to do this offshoot group, and I kind of got tired of the support group format where everyone sits in a circle and cries, "Oh woe is me." You know, there was only so much comforting I could do, and then see the same people come back to the circle the next week and not do anything that was changing the trajectory of their life. Mm-hmm. And you know, I never had the luxury to just sit and wallow in that kind of self-pity. So, uh, I started this other group, which was dedicated to advocacy. And the purpose of it was to go out in the community and talk to business owners and the large employers in the county where I lived, uh, and educate them on trans issues and to say, hey, there are some people with this condition that want a safe place to work and a way to bring home a salary and be productive and be productive members of society. And so I started that advocacy group and it just, it was an uphill battle the entire time not so much from the community, but from the members within. And so after a while, I got very disheartened about the trans community and I thought, well, I've got to focus on my life and my journey. And so that's what I did for the last few years the things that i wanted to talk about were kind of some counter opinions because there's there seem to be only two schools of things getting talked about in media right now there is the trans narrative which is part of the lgbtqia plus i don't know what letters they're throwing into that bucket this week Mm -hmm. school of thought and then there's the conservative school of thought which is a complete opposite side of the spectrum kind of thing and there's not a lot of middle ground that's being given a voice and I feel like that voice needs to be heard so that's why we're here
0: yeah that's and I want to preface before we go any further because yeah we're going to get into like just like a lot of hot button issues I mean like there, it's it's uh there's a lot of volatility uh surrounding all of this uh and Like, you know, you and I, we're just here because we love each other and we respect each other. And we just want to talk about these things because, like, I'm, like, I'm so grateful for this experience. Because, like, I've, there's so many things I want to talk to people about that I haven't been able to. Because, again, it's that, that volatility. It's, I see this manifest on, like, basically all, all kinds of, whatever you're talking about. Like, there's, people are tribal and then they kind of develop communities and then there's, like, it's very, like, you're either with it or you're not, you know, and then, they, like you said, there's no in-between, so it's, like, I want to talk about all the in-betweens and, like, just the, just unpack this stuff, you know, and I want, like, the viewers and listeners to know that, like, whatever I say, it's, like, I'm just trying to talk my way through, like, understand, you know, and that's my my goal, you know, so it's, like, um, anything we talk about, like, it's, I, I just want viewers to to know that because, like, you know, like, I think we need to diffuse the volatility and just actually talk about the m- many complex layers of mm-hmm. this entire thing.
1: And there are so many spokes to the wheel. You know, right now in the media, they're talking about uh, trans women specifically participating in sports. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: they're talking about another spoke of the wheel is children transitioning Mm -hmm. and then another spoke of the wheel is the non-binary community which has a lot of different offshoots there's gender non-conforming and a whole long list of other definitions but non-binary to put it into one segment Mm -hmm. and so there are a lot of different spokes of the wheel that we have to kind of feel out and talk about Mm -hmm. so where do we start
0: yeah well i could start with uh i guess I'll start with where I'm at uh, with me. I've talked about this a little bit in other episodes, but, you know, like, I had a, like, growing up in the Midwest, um, I didn't realize until recently, like, how kind of different I was. And I experienced a lot of trauma from, you know, like, when I hit puberty and I was, just like, figuring myself out, I, you know, I would... I, I liked to dress more feminine and present more feminine, but, and I'm sure looking back, I would have pushed that more had I not been so aggressively like abused for that. So I just kind of cut that part out of my life. It was much easier to just like present as, and blend in, I guess, you know, as a, just a, a cis male or something. But then, you know, as I get into all of this, like all of the terms and stuff were sort of overwhelming to me too, because like before, like for a while, I feel like non-binary, I guess, is the easiest way that I can, the term that I can use to sort of relate to other people because they kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, but before that, I was using the term genderful because I just feel that within my own being that I gotten in tune with the masculine and the feminine. And for me, actually, where I'm coming from, it's like, it, it's, it's very complex, but it's like there's a spiritual component to it as well. and. Um, and and it's that's something hard to describe to other people because, you know, yeah, I've started to use the term non-binary because like, I guess that's how I'm navigating this situation. But like, I'm still not like it's an ever unfolding journey, you know, like I'm not even sure if that even like necessarily sums up like me. Does
1: that make sense? You know? It does. It does. And I'm gosh, I'm so glad we're talking about this because part of my background is as a linguist. I speak nine languages and a smattering of four or five others. And so I'm always just, my ears and my brain tune into words, I think, differently than the average bear. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this question Mm -hmm. If the term non binary had never been coined, what other word would you use to describe? your situation
0: yeah i think uh genderful but see that's a word that i made up you know Mm -hmm. that like genderful like
1: a f-u-l on the end yeah like
0: because to me i feel full of gender like Mm -hmm. on all the spectrums because like and i'm and it's never static for me it's always like sometimes i feel more masculine sometimes i feel more feminine you know it's like it's all over the place you know and then i wasn't until recently that i'd like when i started looking into like Uh, Just the trans community and stuff and what the trans word actually meant I I learned that it's actually an umbrella term for like I guess they're defining it as if you relate or if you identify as anything other than what's on your birth certificate Then you're trans. Apparently that's the modern Mm -hmm. definition of trans.
1: Trans what?
0: Just trans. I that. See that's yeah. See
1: that's where I'm gonna Say you can't do that because Uh trans just means on the other side of Uh So, there has to be an object connected to that prefix for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, transcontinental is very different than transform.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And transduce is very different than transcribe. Mm-hmm. So, trans what? Yeah. And I'm of the very unpopular, especially in today's climate, uh, of the, the opinion or the school of thought that I'm not transgender. I'm transsexual. And I look at things kind of from a historical perspective, and I see, you know, the term transgender didn't even exist until I think the 50s or 60s. I forget exactly when that term came into existence, but prior to that, the term transsexual did exist. Mm-hmm. And historically, transsexuals, to use that word, have existed throughout all cultures and all times, all continents, all religions, and all creeds, Mm -hmm. we have always shown up in humanity because it's a completely normal and natural variation that statistically occurs, and that's just the Mm facts. So regardless of what feelings or emotions or opinions someone ascribes to that definition or what word we call it in this or that decade or century, it's always been a human fact, and it always will continue to be. Mm -hmm. So I think from a linguistic standpoint, it's very important for us to have clear definitions of things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and you and I kind of had this conversation partially once before that as I was attending different support groups and things during my transition in the early years, I was exposed to all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds. And there was always a small subset of people that were like me. But the majority of those groups were very unlike me. And I remember just kind of, I didn't have the ability to articulate it or quite even pinpoint it at that time. But I would just leave those things feeling frustrated like, oh my God, why am I having to jump through these hoops? I just want to you know get my letters so I can have my surgery and go get a better job you know I was very focused on that mm-hmm. and um, so I feel like I'm getting off the topic the term transgender really didn't happen until the 50s or 60s and if you dive into the history of it which I'm just now beginning to do so I will preface everything that I'm saying with I did not walk into this podcast with you today with a printed bibliography <laughs> uh, if I cite a source. Anyone who hears this is welcome to do your own research and find your own data. But um, I do want to make a befor- better effort of beginning to create this bibliography for my platform. And uh, so I can better articulate what I have to say. Mm-hmm. And maybe this podcast with you today is the beginning of that.
2: Yeah, I think
1: so. But the term transgender was introduced around the 50s or 60s as an umbrella term. Prior to that, it was just transsexual, which was someone who experienced gender dysphoria. So they got a sex change and presented as the other sex, went through society as the other sex. And not a whole lot was said about those people because historically we've been about 0.6% of the human population. And so in the 50s or 60s, there were cultural shifts happening Mm -hmm. and we all know what the 60s and 70s were like, uh, either through having lived them or through television Mm -hmm. and the term transgender was introduced as more of an umbrella term to allow a lot of other things in and while I think that was maybe good for some people because it gave them some freedom to try out different things in other senses it was kind of bad because it robbed an entire subset of people with a very medical need of medical legitimacy Mm -hmm. and so I was getting frustrated that I was sitting in you know, groups with lesbians who just wanted to sit there and complain. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I love all of my lesbian friends. I love lesbians. But I would get frustrated to have to sit there and listen to people bellyache and moan about, you know, this person treated me like this or that person treated me like that. And it had nothing to do with my experience as a transsexual. They had no desire or intention whatsoever to go through any type of medical transition. And you know this isn't just something that you can go sign a letter and have it happen. It you have to jump through a lot of medical hoops to have surgeries.
0: Yeah, and I think that's it, that's an important note is that I think yeah I just uh, I was just thinking doing a lot of thinking yesterday on the word entropy, and I think that I wonder if opening up the trans umbrella uh, brings in a lot more people in the fold, which is good, um, but also there's you would experience some type of entropy from that because more perspectives and more um, more people that come under the fold creates an essential like more chaos in a sense like at a basic level because it's um you're trying to group a lot of varied people under one umbrella so then people's needs get missed and then definitions get lost and and then like I, i think the communication the way that we figure these things out sort of get Lost within this this bigger umbrella, and I think that um, you know it's tough for queer people. I guess I, I get, again, it's like I'm trying to figure out like the right terms and everything too. And I feel like it, the, the LGBTQ plus like I really like personally, I don't I don't appreciate that acronym. Because, I don't either. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Like we're on the same page on that one because it's just it doesn't even. It's not even easy to say, you know, and it's like it's supposed to be a community that's like uh, get, toge- but it's like it's just all separate acronyms that are just grouped together. And each one of those represents a different s- segment of people with mm-hmm. very different mm-hmm. needs and different culture. and it's like so so why are we still like, you know, it's just it feels it's know. not
1: a community. Yeah. It's not a community. I have been hated more vehemently and overtly by people who are one of those letters than I have by society at large. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if I get in IKEA and go to Stater Brothers and go grocery shopping, you know, nobody, some people look at me twice just because I'm tall, but I just, I feel like society at large gives me a lot less, what's the word I'm looking for? Analysis than the LGBTQ plus IA community. And when they first started playing with the letters, uh, I remember thinking well you know what a transsexual isn't a sexual identity it's a medical condition yes but you know l is lesbian g is gay b is bisexual what else is there in terms of sexual orientations Mm -hmm. you know you're either into one or the other or both and Mm -hmm. there's you know three is the max Mm -hmm. and transsexualism now called transgenderism i didn't see really where that belonged in sexual orientation because that sexual orientation isn't has to do with your body it doesn't have to do with your body mm-hmm. so that was always confusing to me and then in the last you know decade or so i've seen these other letters get tacked on and it's become this whole political movement and how far is it going to go how much more can you fractionate these identities mm-hmm. into these small little slivers and they sell it under the the auspice of being inclusive but it's the exact opposite it's exclusive because everybody wants their own little slice of the rainbow and I feel like that's not productive. Yeah, I don't see who that serves or how.
0: And I, you know, I, I see how that's developed because again, like there's, there's many, the intersectionality of all the issues colliding here is like something I'm really trying to dig at and unpack. And it's like when queer people, that's why I use the term queer, because like, um, it, I feel like that's just, it, it more encompasses like varying sexual orientations and gender identities like you know and it's just it's i don't know it just feels easier to encompass that
1: you know like Um, an umbrella term for non-conforming yeah
0: or like anything other than just like straight and like um you know uh, cis i guess Mm it's the cis is like for gender assigned at birth right people that are yeah so again i'm trying to learn the terms (laughs) yeah um When you have society as a whole, there's many instances and many cases in which they're they're not accepting of people outside of the norm. So then you have this whole group of people that are trying to find themselves within a overarching system that doesn't really accept them so then that then they find their community within people that are are like them but then those communities since they're coming from like all this trauma of unacceptance from mainstream society then naturally they're inherently grouping up and defensive so that's where the tribalism sort of comes in Mm -hmm. you know so i think it's there's a there's a component of trauma of not being accepted that leads I think to the exclusivity of mm-hmm. this the LGBTQ community.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? There's almost like some Stockholm syndrome happening where people will stay inside that tribe even though it doesn't really serve them. Mm-hmm. And I did that. I I was guilty of that for a long time. You know I lived the first 44 years of my life as a gay man. I mean I knew at the age of 40 that i mean at the age of 40 i knew at the age of four that something was wrong because i kept telling my parents i'm a girl and i always played with barbie dolls i always dressed in my mother's clothing and she had to take me out of her closet on a daily basis and you know i'm 50 years old today and still if i go home i'm going to go play in my mother's closet and no one's going to stop me Mm -hmm. um so i think Early on, my parents knew that they had some work on their hands when I came into their life. But I knew from an early age that I was different because I could see how my parents reacted to me coming in the living room and doing a Carol Burnett show in my mom's wig and, and shoes. And you know, I was always a funny kid, so some of it was truly funny and they laughed at it. But as I got older and started going through school, it ceased to be funny and but i always knew that i was female and i always felt trapped in the fact that my body was seemingly not female and in my particular condition when i reached puberty i didn't really go through puberty like other kids my puberty happened way later i was probably 15 i think when you know other when the real changes started to happen And I never had an Adam's apple. Uh, My voice never got very deep. You know, I never sounded male. And then now as an adult, I don't feel like I sound completely female. I still have a lot of dysphoria around my voice, but it is what it is. And I never really looked completely male either. I mean, I just, I had some type of hormonal condition apparently. And uh, then I went through like a second puberty around the age of 24 25 where my body masculinized even more than what it had but i still never had an adam's apple or a deep voice and never had very masculine features so and you know now looking back on it my god i'm so happy that things didn't masculinize more because i've not had to have facial surgery um, I've not had breast augmentation surgery. Trust me, if I had breast augmentation surgery, I have gotten a real set. But right now I'm living with what God gave me. And um, so for my transition surgery, I only had the bottom half done. And uh, that's all that was necessary in my case. So in that regard, I'm fortunate. So bodies are different. And I feel like we're just beginning to scratch the surface in our modern times of some of the science behind mm-hmm. transsexualism mm-hmm. which is a good thing we can look back historically and see that we've always been part of every society and culture mm-hmm. and you know even um I, i'm very interested in learning more about eunuchs in mm-hmm. biblical literature and really what they were and, and what that represents and uh you know could that be part of of it back then in those cultures which yeah. were not our culture it was a very different time and a very different culture but mm-hmm. so technologically we're just scratching the surface of transsexualism and learning more about the differences in the brain and uh you know we know that all fetuses are female until about the seventh what is it the seventh week Mm -hmm. when the fetus is bathed in this hormone bath and certain things get switched on and the female parts transform into male parts but the template for all of humanity is that that one fetus Mm -hmm. so in the broad spectrum of human variation sometimes things go wrong Mm -hmm. and if I could just wave a magic wand I would not have been born transsexual I would much rather have been born into a female body and lived a perfectly female childhood and my life would have been so much different than what it is now Uh, but that's how I feel what's been your experience well
0: I think so before I forget, like I, like, I want to bring up that I think to me it's like I feel like a lot of people are having like I'm not sure that we're having the right as a whole as society that we're not having the correct conversation around transgender or transsexual uh, because I think oftentimes like actual intersex people are being left out of the conversation completely, you know, and, and but the crazy thing to me is that one in 12 people are born intersex. So that means like their genitalia are somewhere in the middle. And there's been a huge push by medical establishment. I watched this documentary, but they they interviewed intersex people. And there's this like big push by the medical establishment to either the doctors are saying, oh, this isn't this isn't feminine enough. This is male, So they perform surgeries to put it one way or the other. And they've interviewed people that had surgeries, and then they had so many issues because they had these surgeries that they didn't consent to, right? Mm-hmm. It was just they were born in the doctor. They they were like, for your child to have a normal, healthy life, we're going to push them one way or the other, you know? And then they interviewed intersex people that, like, did their parents didn't allow them to have the surgeries, and they're incredibly happy. They have, like, a mix of, like, both genitals. So it's actually... In nature, one out of 12, too, is like it occurs very often that people are born actually just with like hermaphroditic or have both parts or a mix of both. So there's like a natural variation there biologically that I think often gets left out of the conversation. And when you look at that, you're like, oh, okay. so that that to me is when it like it really kind of like, oh, you know, Um, that that's sort of like really opened my eyes about the whole conversation as a whole you know mm-hmm. i think it's really important that we include intersex people in the conversation mm-hmm. or at least that like, because i don't even think people know that inter—that's it's
1: as common as it is some know? people hearing this may have heard the word intersex for the first time yeah so if you're one of those people out there go google it yeah <laughs> go duck duck go at whatever you do but go learn about it because mm-hmm. it's it's a thing and, and i think that it's good that we are beginning to learn the science. I've started listening to uh, a lot of conservative points of view lately, and I've been, like even today, driving over here, I was uh, listening to uh, Prager University, and there's this young duo named, I forget, Amala and Will, I forget what her name is, but they're doing this, this talk, and, you know, as much as I love what some of, I love some of the things they're saying, they're getting the trans conversation wrong because they're lumping all things trans. Again, this is where that umbrella term is more harmful than helpful because it's putting everything under this one big umbrella Mm -hmm. and they're speaking out of complete and total ignorance of the true medical necessity and the medical condition of transsexualism versus some other things which are more variations of the mind for example i think it's very unhealthy that transvestites who just have a sexual fetish want to be called transgender you know it's like if you had a blood disorder a person with leukemia has a very different medical need than a person who has sickle cell anemia and you can't just lump them under this one umbrella term of blood disorders and say oh well you both have blood disorders here's your bumper sticker And I feel like that's very reductive. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and for the people who are transvestites, fine. You know, if you're a man who wants to put on a dress and have crazy sex orgies in your rented hotel, more power to you. Go find the people that enjoy that thing and do it with your people. But don't come over here into our tribe and take our definition and apply it to you. Because now that kind of sullies or taints the term so to speak and when I go out and try to find a job they associate me with that person Mm -hmm. and as much as I respect a transvestite's right to have that sexual fetish I don't want to be considered part of it Mm -hmm. so stop using my definition
0: yeah I think that's a good it's good to acknowledge that because it's like the more conservative and viewpoints like to create this like deviant narrative of trans and queer people they're deviants and they're predators and you know and it's like when you're having all these things under the umbrella it's it's easy again for things to get lost things to get like spun out of the wrong context Mm -hmm. and then we're not really even having the right conversations Mm -hmm. you know and then I've just watched the political system just decline over the I mean I think we've all watched you know like it's like 2016 it's just like it's just been you know it's just been going downhill and now we're trying to figure out like we're coming to a covid put us all in like our own little spaces and everybody's just like figuring themselves out and we're trying to like have all these conversations about like real human uh issues and things but it's like run through this ringer of politicized like vicious tribalism and so then it further detracts from like how do we the baseline what i'm most interested in is finding understanding between people i just i love people and i respect people and i just want to understand people and i want them to understand and love and respect me you know mm-hmm. and, it, and we can find that but it's like we, if everything is just like run through this like volatile like aggressive I, you know i just i feel it you know and anytime you talk about the issues whether it's within the community or with without the community there's there's all of these str- like strange perspectives and and reactions that you'll get depending on who you're talking to you know Mm -hmm.
1: and i think there's a way for that to happen at least in my heart and my spirit i have hope for the future that exactly what you just said can happen Mm -hmm. but i think in order to enable that number one we have to be very like blatantly honest about the science of it Mm -hmm. and we're just beginning to scratch the surface of that science but i want to see real research i just listened to a book by dr deborah so called i think it's called the end of gender or something to that effect Mm -hmm. but um, she completely left academia because she wasn't able to uh you know she had her freedom of speech taken away she wanted to do legitimate honest to god science and put facts and put truth out there and instead she had people coming and saying no you can't say that uh that the mouses or the mice that you did this experiment on were male or female sexed. You have to say that the ma- the mouse's gender was male and the mouse's gender was female. And she was interviewing the science who did some experiment with mice. And the person's response was, well, I don't, I didn't interview the mouse. So I don't know what their feeling was about, you know, about its gender mm-hmm. in that moment. And it was kind of this funny ha ha thing, but to, to get to where you were going with that, I think we need to have just hard science with numbers. Give me facts without a spin and without politics. So once we have the facts, then as a society, I feel like there's a space for all of those different other definitions of people. If, if I, as a transsexual, am part of the group we call transsexuals, then you know another very separate and distinct group is transvestites. And they need to go have their fun. You know, I had a friend who was a transvestite and and uh, she would actually come over to my house or he, I don't know what gender to call this person, but would come over to my house and I would do his hair and makeup. And then he would go out and find people at the bar and have orgies and crazy times. And that's what he loved to do. And he did that one night a week. And the other six days a week, he was this long headed redneck person. It was just this weird dichotomy of a way to live a life, Mm -hmm. but I let him live his life the way he wanted to live it. And he let me live mine Mm -hmm. and we were still friends, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I feel like there's a space for all of those different people, but I don't like what you said earlier about how people bring politics into it and they try to, to make things seem like something they're not. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's dangerous.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, see, I I think I'm kind of, like, on a different end of the spectrum from you. Because, like, I I do agree with you. I love science. um, And I think that it is helpful, like, to bring definite, like, logical science facts into. And it's it's needed, you know. Um, But also, I'm being... I guess for lack of a better term, like non-binary and stuff. And like, I I feel like a lot of these concepts are a lot more abstract and deeper than just what science could explain to us, you know? Because there is a a mental component to the, like everything is at at the baseline level, reality is consciousness. Like you can't get behind consciousness. Like the quantum physics, they, they try to study consciousness that nobody, science can't even tell us the fundamental question of what is consciousness you know so but we find ourselves as conscious beings in these bodies that we have certain feelings about and those feelings are compounded and shaped by the environment that we grow up in you know so it's really hard to like peel all of that away and get down to like who am i and like what am i in this body you know mm-hmm. because again going back to like where i how i'm figuring myself out it is a spiritual component and i know a lot of people like aren't gonna get it or believe me or and that's fine you know all i can do is just try to explain it you know and it's like my spiritual journey actually helped me unpack my sexuality and my gender identity you know i started realizing that i was pansexual and that was that was when it started that was the first realization and then so realizing that i'm attracted to any kind of genitalia or you know or any kind of presentation depending on like if i just if it's like works for me you know what i mean like i don't i don't have a limit that that i'm in this realm of like oh like i don't nothing really bothers me i'm open to all things you know and then so then once i started understanding that that's when i started to like Kind of understand like I looked back on my life and realized that a lot of my time was spent trying to present more feminine, but it was just never really allowed. And now that I'm embracing that, like when I when I uh, full like when I fully dressed up and presented as feminine, when I looked in the mirror, I was like awash with just this absolute euphoric feeling, you know. And I didn't even know that there was such a thing as like trans euphoria. And it's like and then learning about that concept, it's a very abstract concept that other people experience, you know, that like when you see yourself presented in a way that um, reflecting, you know, how you feel inside, it it does something to you, you know, and that's kind of indescribable to people unless you've experienced it, you know.
1: No, I know what you mean. I mean, how we look and how we appear in society is important. And um, I remember the first time that I went out in public in the daylight, not just at home doing my own thing, but I remember the first time that I went out in public completely just as myself. I was so scared I could hardly go through the door, but I did it. And, you know, I've come a long way since then and I've learned a lot. And, you know, transition's not a light switch that you hit and then you go from light to dark or from dark to light. It's not that at all. It's a journey mm-hmm. and you know and, and there's a lot of ugliness that happens along the way and that's why I feel that we do need to carve out a safe space in society because for a person like me who at the age of 44 started their transition, you know there are a few years where you're going through things like electrolysis and different kinds of hair removal. you know there are weeks where I would have to go to work and my face looked like I had been shot with a shotgun. And at the time I was a school teacher and I had students who said, oh, my God, what happened to your face? And the only excuse I knew to give was, oh, I had an allergic reaction to some medication. And then, you know, that started happening pretty regular. And I know these students were thinking, why do you keep taking that medicine that really messes your face up? (laughs) So, um, you know, it eventually became known. But there needs to be a safe space for people to have that journey because, you know, just like you say that you're not quite sure of who you are, or how you want to present, you should be able to try different things out because you may try something that really works for you and feels right. And you may try other things that don't. And unless you have a place to do that, how else would you know? Mm-hmm. And we haven't had a society up until now where that safe space has been available. And I feel like that's where even more things kind of get conflated in the LGBTQ plus umbrella community because one of the only safe spaces that we've had historically has been gay bars. And so a lot of my early, you know, social interactions as a female were in gay bars, which is very ironic because I'm the last thing on earth a gay man wants anything to do with. I have nothing to offer a gay man. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have a penis. I don't enjoy porn. I don't even like Madonna. So <laughs> it was never a good fit for me, you know? Um, and I realized that in the non binary community, I see a lot of people who are in that exploratory phase that is to be expected. It should be expected. To me, it's like a big no duh because you have to try different things out to see what does and doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, just scientifically speaking, and, you know, we might probably will agree to disagree on this, but I feel like there's a lot of talk right now in the liberal side of things about let's break down the binary Mm -hmm. and what's one of the other buzzwords? The patriarchy and the binary. I actually think let's embrace the binary. Gender expression truly is a spectrum. And it has infinite possibilities, you know, every different human can express that in his or her own unique way. Mm -hmm. But human reproduction is very much a binary system. And I feel like things because of that will always kind of, what's the word I'm trying to look for, will kind of operate in that binary system. And I feel like that should be okay. Let's stop arguing and getting lost in the weeds over splitting hairs that don't matter. Mm -hmm. Reproduction's binary. Mm -hmm. So if there is a man, however, who's biologically male, but wants to present as female or somewhere in between, that should be okay Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and vice versa. I grew up and I always thought it was so ironic that when I was growing up, I knew all of these women that would wear men's clothing and exhibit very male behaviors, and speak like men, and have male posturing. And I always kind of clued in to them as a young child. And I thought, well, it's not fair that she gets to go around and, you know, do what she does. And the minute that I want to wear one of my mom's scarves, I get beat for it. You know, it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So sorry have I rambled off No, yeah I, I on, on you. A tangent. so
0: yeah I think I, I think it's really interesting perspective of embracing the binary and and especially because I identify as non-binary and I see like I see the like for me because we've talked before and you've mentioned there's been times where like you I think the way that you said it before it's like when you went you were like you didn't want to like sing or something because you don't want people to clock you mm-hmm. or so, so, as like trans or and so I see that that kind of that like hurts my heart you know because like they're there you're expressing something that you feel like society like you have to you have to pass as like you know and there's that's a big concept in uh, um i see a lot of dysphoria happening in within the trans community because they feel like they're not feminine enough or they're not male enough, you know, mm-hmm. if they're if they're actually transitioning to like one way or the other, you know, but me, like whatever, like whatever makes sense to me is like the middle feels the most correct to me.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: again, I think that stems from my pansexual, pansexuality is that like, I'm accepting of it all. And it, but it's like, it, it, it makes me sad when I see people get so dysphoric because they feel like they have to cross some kind of threshold to be uh, like, from male to female or female to male, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like, and that's just a, an overall society thing, and I, the, where I'm coming from and why I even use the terms non-binary is because I want, a, I want the world to be more accepting of, like, and I don't want people to feel like they have to be any kind of way, mm-hmm. I, except themselves, you know?
1: Yeah, and I'm, I agree with you on that, and mostly, I think, Um, I do embrace the binary because I feel like that's this again it goes back to reproduction
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but how a person dresses how they act in society and the gender roles that they play out um, there's a lot of variation there and that's that's got to be okay Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, you know I've known a lot of masculine women and I've known a lot of feminine men And at the end of the day, they're still biologically either male or female. It's not about chromosomes. There's a lot of chromosomal variation. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: I've often wondered if I'm XXY, I've had a lot of the uh, signs of, a condition known as Klinefelter syndrome, Mm. but I've not been tested and it's an expensive chromosomal test that I'm not gonna pay for right now, so I don't know. Mm. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't matter. I'm still gonna be me and go Mm -hmm. through society and through the world as me unapologetically. Um, But it kind of comes down to gametes. A human organism produces either one or the other. And so I feel like when I say embrace the binary, I'm not doing that to throw dirt in the face of people who are calling themselves Mm non-binary but i think from a linguistic standpoint we've done all of this fuckery with language that's counterproductive because Mm -hmm. pardon my french by the way but (laughs) (laughs) um i think it's counterproductive because i think someone can be biologically male and you know still be fabulous and if you want to have rainbow hair have rainbow hair fine personally it's not for me you know it just doesn't go with my skin tone Mm -hmm. like I don't even like the rainbow flag i've dabbled in art and music my whole life and i believe in the color wheel and you know the opposite side of the color wheel is your contrasting color and you throw it all in the same flag and it's just ugly to me <laughs> so i'm like can't you at least pick a flag that has a color theme but... <laughs>
0: it's so funny because I, I fucking love rainbows man like after, like as many colors as you can jam into it i'm all about yeah, it yeah see to
1: it's me sad. it's just like color vomit
0: yeah yeah, that's,
2: I appreciate that's the intention it, of it. Yeah. It's like,
1: hey, let's include everybody. Yeah. But, you know, I see all of those colors together and I'm just like, oh, it's ugly. Like right now I'm learning German, right? Mm-hmm. Or learning more German. And I open the little app on my phone and every time I do, I'm just like, it's so ugly because it's black and red and yellow. And those are three very harsh colors. And I'm like, can I redo y'all's flag? You know, with, with the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, like, let me just redo the flag. I'll do it for free. I won't even charge. You know, throw her up there some you know, some turquoise with some, like a nice yellow counter color to balance it. It would be yeah. so pretty. But, oh well, I digress.
0: Yeah. See, and that's, I think it's we're we're blossoming into like uh, another part of the conversation i think why this is so hard to for not only queer people to sort of figure out but also just society as a whole is that there are so there are infinite complexities into what it even means to be a conscious being you know it's like even and so what is male what is female what is You know, we we are these bodies that can skin them and present them in so many different ways. And we feel so many different ways uh, within a a day, you know, so it's like what like how do we define what it even means? And I think that might be why we're having such a clash right now is because people are starting to realize that, like, uh, we're more complex than. The binary, but I believe that, that like I do agree with like the binary is necessary on some level. I do. I do believe that. But I, I haven't figured out like the balance yet of like how we can use the binary concept, but also expand past the binary concept, you know, because also when you think when you have people like looking to uh, find a partner or something there, there are definitely very specific things that people want in a partner. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like I it's like it, it so like how do we how do we develop language and community and structures to where we can present ourselves at like with full disclosure and then people can know you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's it's yeah
1: i'm glad you said that um i've lived through that recently um god i'm telling a lot of strangers on this podcast things about myself that um are personal but hey if it helps somebody it helps somebody um Again, I feel like it's important and healthy and productive to embrace the binary and respect it and honor it. I am very much a fan of traditional gender roles. However, for the majority of society, I'm a transsexual. I represent 0.6% of humanity. 0.6% of humanity is like me, you know? But the other 99.4% are like the other 99.4 percent so i think my 0.6 percent needs to have a safe space to function and still be a productive member and contribute to my community Mm -hmm. and to my life and to my loved ones and my family the way i can Mm -hmm. but society at large i think traditional gender norms serve the propagation of our species on the planet and of our culture at some point in the future we will have to expand into the stars and populate other places besides earth if humanity is going to continue to live so our bodies and our consciousness says will evolve and must in order for this thing we call life as we know it to continue and that's beautiful but i feel like culturally speaking traditional gender norms serve a very distinct purpose males just scientifically have uh, higher tendencies of aggression. They have better, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, I know, but spatial manipulation skills and women have more qualities of nurturing, historically speaking. Mm-hmm. There are exceptions to this, but I'm speaking mm-hmm. in generalities okay. because I'm speaking to the 99.4% of the rest of humanity. And those things serve a very, distinct biological purpose so humanity can continue and i definitely want humanity to continue Mm -hmm. so i'm not going to go in and try to unravel the language of that other 99.4 percent of humanity just to make myself feel good Mm -hmm. i feel like that's selfish and it's not productive Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so i feel like non-binary people need to be loved and honored as you know part of that 0.6 percent and they need to have their own space. And we need to talk about it as such. There are some people who aren't going to feel like me, that they need surgery to correct their body. Um, at the end of the day, that person still either has a penis or a vagina or some intersex modality of the two. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a lid A lid to every pot. You know, that person who has genitals like that still can find someone to love them. You just watched a special on intersex people, and I'm sure some of them were in very happy, loving, committed relationships. Mm -hmm. So I feel like what you said is completely true that different people are attracted to different things. And, you know, thank God they are because I finally found someone who loves me for me, and it's wonderful and beautiful. And I want everyone to experience and to have that. Uh, But I also know that if I had a penis instead of a vagina, he would not be able to do things with me in bed and it just wouldn't work.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So um, I feel like it's important for someone to disclose in a sexual relationship kind of what's going on down there Mm -hmm. and not do this bait and switch thing like oh I'm presenting as a woman but I lift up the skirt and hello there's a penis there I mean I can imagine the shock especially if it's with someone who doesn't like penises Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry but some people just don't like penises and some people love them a whole lot Mm -hmm. and so I feel like
0: and both are okay and and both
1: are wonderful Yeah. yeah but I feel like it's all about honesty and disclosure mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i just i feel like it, i i'm not sure that we're have hit a place in society yet that like there's even like a a good way to do that you know like i i i don't know it's um Yeah, preference is a natural thing. You know, it's like I—it's weird because it's game game I play, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. There's a lot of like gender uh, options to make your character like different, uh, like, like you know, different like trans or you know. um, But I, I think that apparently the trans community was really upset because some of the characters in the game won't engage you sexually if you're a certain, if you have certain genit, if you pick certain genitalia and stuff. And, like-
1: Why would you be angry over that?
0: That's what I was wondering, because it's, like, that's- it's a reflection of real life. There are some people that, like, you can't expect everyone to be told, like, I'm absolutely pansexual, I like, dicks, vaginas, whatever. You know, like, I'm all about all of it, you know? But, like, I don't expect everyone to feel that way, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I respect everybody's right to- and we should, you know, it feels strange to, like- uh, expect like you know like a, a conformist like oh you have to be okay with everything you know mm-hmm. and it's like but again that's just a complex situation of how how do we like unpack that as a society and mm-hmm. allow people these spaces and like you know
1: I was so uninterested in vaginas that I had never actually seen one until I had one huh. I mean seriously like of, of course I would seen them in magazines sure. but I'd never seen a vagina in real life ever I'd probably seen like pubic hair on a woman, like probably like my mom changing clothes or my sister, but but not actually like to see a vagina all in her Georgia O'Keeffe glory. <laughs> you know, that was an experience I never wanted nor had. And then, you know, I woke up one day and, you know, thank God I had my own. It's been a learning, it's been a journey of, of learning and it's been beautiful. Mm. So I wouldn't expect Before I met my my boyfriend, I was on dating sites trying to meet people. Mm -hmm. And I had to navigate this water because before my surgery, you know, I still looked like I look. I still sounded like I sound. And but I still had different equipment down there. Mm -hmm. And part of me would get so mad because... I would have a nice conversation with a man for two or three exchanges. And after I saw that he might be interested in going to Starbucks and meeting for coffee, I would you know, say, Hey, before we go any further, there's something about me I need to tell you. And they would either be, Nope, no thanks. I'm not into that. Blocked. So mm. a, a lot of that happened, mm. but I was surprised at the sheer volume of men who instantly would flip this switch when I would reveal that. Mm. And I should have tracked numbers and done like a sociological study. I could have had my PhD in gender studies by now. But I was shocked by the sheer volume of people who instantly flipped and became curious and wanted to know more. Mm. And it pissed me off because at first, part of the conversation would be about like, oh, how do you want to retire? And where are your favorite places to go on vacation? And, you know, how do you want to live the next 10 years of your life? And what do you like to do on weekends? And it was all of this real-life stuff. And then I would reveal that I still had different equipment downstairs. And the next question would be, what's your OnlyFans page? So I learned what OnlyFans was. And will you bleep me up the bleep with a bleep while my wife and my girlfriend watch and live stream it on this website? Yeah. And they would just come right out with it because the minute the term transgender, quote unquote, was associated to this woman they had been talking to, they no longer saw me as a woman. Mm -hmm. And they saw me as a sexual deviant, as a prostitute, as someone who had multiple sex partners and did everything with everybody, Mm -hmm. which is so, so not me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not ditching or dissing those people that are like that, Mm -hmm. you know. People can have their own sexual fun in their own way, but that's definitely not me. And it would always just hurt me when the minute the term trans anything was associated with me that they thought, oh, well, you know, will you use this 10-inch dildo on me until my nose bleeds and we can film it? Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) So it it made me mad and it was hurtful. But then I get on Facebook and I see the 70-year-old trans woman who every picture that she puts of herself uh, is, you know, trying to pull her, uh, her shirt down just so her nipple shows. She's always pushing that boundary and that edge, you know, and then she's bending over at the refrigerator, but her butt crack showing just by like three millimeters. And she's always pushing that boundary, everything super sexualized, overdone. And then she does this whole rant about why the city council won't vote for her. And I'm like, honey, don't you get it? Where is the disconnect? How can you live with such cognitive dissonance that you just think it's going to be one way and it's not? Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I've ranted. No, it's,
0: <gasps> well, and that's like, I love that we're... uh we're coming at this from, like, we definitely have different, like, perspectives because I'm entering a place in my life where, like, I'm really embracing my sexuality, and, like, and it's a part of my creativity, and, like, I want to show my body. I want, you know, I want to sexualize myself because it's a creative and artistic and and spiritual endeavor for me, but also I do see how that clashes with, like, you know, uh, I guess mainstream society is because, like, you know, it's it's sort of, again, yeah, people just associate, like, queer people with deviancy, you know, and, but, but then I think that's a whole other conversation that's, like, we have to unpack, is, like, just mainstream society's ideals and and view perspectives of sex in itself, you know, because, like, I think there's, I think we're still, there's still a lot that we need to resolve as a whole surrounding sex, you know what I mean, because it's just, it's a strange topic that, like, well it's fundamental to you know our species but also it's just uh, not a lot of people like to talk about it or like or they get weird talking about it and you know it's like you know there's just like a lot of weirdness surrounding mm-hmm. it you know mm-hmm. so that's again like it's, it's, i like as we're going through this conversation we're finding all the layers on this that's like you know that's one layer like sex just in general mm-hmm. is an entire layer to this umbrella that you know that's it's, it's a big part of it you know mm-hmm. Uh, But it's not all of it. That's the thing, you know, because then you also mentioned earlier uh, traditional gender roles, you know, and it's like, and I I love that you're, I would say, like, you're more on the conservative end of like a traditional, like, a viewpoint, right? You know, would you say that?
1: I would, and it's a shock to me. You know, it's like I had to come out as a gay man in my teen years and was outed in an ugly sort of way by my sister, and uh, to my family and it was very hurtful and caused a lot of problems. Uh, so then at, you know, 44, I had to come out as a transsexual woman. And in the last two years, I've done this very deep, deep spiritual dive and soul searching. And I'm discovering that I'm fairly conservative. Now, I don't think I would go out and maybe label myself as a conservative just because that brings all of this other baggage with it i mean you know i'm obviously liberal in many of my thoughts because you know even though i'm not that person that wants to have sex with everybody and everything i realize there are a lot of people who do and that's great for them if you can do that and still be healthy and feel loved and fulfilled, Mm -hmm. then more power to you. You know, there are bars for that. There are websites for that. And there's a space for that. Mm -hmm. I just feel like for me, the hurt came from where it was just automatically assumed that, oh, if you're trans, you're that.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's definitely an issue. And in in the last
1: 10 to 20 years, that's what it's become, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. I find it fascinating, too, because as I started to explore my own gender identity and uh, sexuality, uh, I also I've in, interviewed a lot of like indigenous people and I do a lot of learning about indigenous culture and before colonization, like indigenous cultures, they have what's called two spirits and there are people that uh, embody both male and feminine and some, uh, masculine and feminine energies. And some tribes have like 13 different genders, you know, like um, and so their entire concept, the indigenous concept of sexual gender identity was so much more expanded and like open. Uh, than the, you know, colonial uh, Catholic Christian puritanical colonizers, you know. So a lot of people were, they were, they were in like uh, two-spirit people in indigenous culture were respected as leaders. They had positions like a lot of the uh, shamans and medicine people like uh, in the Philippines, like to be a, um, a priestess or a healer, um, you had to either be a woman or, or trans, a man that was identified as like, was in touch with the feminine principle. and I think that's what I'm starting to dig at is that I'm really into like alchemy and the hermetic principles and to the there's a concept in alchemy. the the rebus is when you you unite the sun and the moon, the masculine and the feminine within oneself. And th- so that to me, that's when I'm starting to dig into these very spiritual, deep, meaningful, uh, ways that I can understand myself. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you get in touch with both of those polarities within your being, that's when you find balance, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but our culture, uh, hasn't really ever, it's, it was set up to on these traditional gender roles that didn't really allow people to cross the line or be a little bit more fluid because mm-hmm. it was very rigid and it says this is the way you've got to be. You're expected to do this and you're expected to do this. So then everybody's raising their kids with expectations to do something one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So never, it, I feel like we weren't allowed to find our way. And I think uh, indigenous cultures were uh, much more in tune with that. And indigenous cultures are way more in tune with nature. And, you know, so it's like, I think there's some fundamental stuff that we're missing because of the traditional gender binary that was imposed by white patriarchal colonization,
1: Mm -hmm. I think. And that's where I feel like we need to learn more true history and apply more true science to the discussion. Because historically, just as you said, that's always been the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, My father was Cherokee. Mm -hmm. He was culturally, his mother was full-blooded Cherokee. His father was Swedish. So he was literally 50-50 split down the middle. But his father died when he was a baby. So he was raised by his mother and three of his older sisters. Mm -hmm. And culturally, he was Cherokee. And in Cherokee civilization, there's a big element of respect placed on, you know, even the bloodlines are matriarchal
2: mm-hmm. in
1: Cherokee societies. So in Cherokee culture, in Cherokee society, there was a role in the tribe called the Nanyahi, which was a woman um, who embodied a male spirit. And so when a child exhibited traits of nanyahi to blend a tsalagi word and English together, nanyahi mm-hmm. works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was, re- it was recognized. Mm-hmm. And so then that child was allowed to do the things that she, and I say she in the binary because she was still viewed as a biological female because she had breasts and a vagina. Mm-hmm. But she was allowed to dress as a male. She was allowed to do male work. And when the tribe went to war with the Chickasaw or the neighboring Choctaw, then she got on a horse and rode with the men and she kicked ass. Mm -hmm. And that was her role in society. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the medicine people of the Sakonige clan, the medicine clan, were trans, what we would call today a male to female, transsexual. Mm And if a child exhibited those characteristics, then that child was put in contact with the medicine person to learn the plants and to learn the herbs and to learn how to mix things and how to heal the body and the spirit. But that culture lived in that way in balance. What you said is entirely true. Those cultures allowed for that to happen. But again, it was a variation of the norm. 99.6% of Cherokee life was within that binary. But when the other 0.6% reared its head mm-hmm. and made itself visible, it was loved and groomed mm-hmm. into to bloom into what it should become.
2: Yeah.
1: And you know, I want to see you bloom and blossom into what you are supposed to become and to be the best version of you that you can be. And I want that for all humans. Yeah. Too. and how do we get there is the question
0: yeah well, i think having conversations like this is like a part of part of that yeah. you know like I, like just so much that we've talked about already like just in this conversation man it's like a really powerful stuff you know it's like i like i said i don't have the answers you know but like just hearing you and getting to like throw this back and forth and like really just have somebody to talk to, it just really means like so much to me. So I just wanted to like thank you, you know, like, yeah. we keep talking, but I just wanted to take a moment to just like express my deep gratitude for you.
1: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm just honored to be here and I love you as my friend and as my co-walker through this thing that we call life because who was it that said we're all just holding each other's hand, walking Ram Dass. Yeah, Ram Das. Yeah. yeah, that's a beautiful Just saying. And it's true other, huh? because we can all have these ideas and opinions about things. And I think we are behooved as humanity to apply science to the discussion because we need statistics and we need to know what the norms are in different elements of society. But as long as what someone is or what someone does isn't harming society or another person, Then I feel like we need to to be able to look at it and view it within the context of all of human life as just part of the norm.
0: Yeah, we just need to allow each other the space to find out who we are, Mm -hmm. you know. And I, if you look at traditional, I guess let's just say American uh, society, there's why is there such a problem with toxic masculinity? You know, it's because the path laid before men was one of suck it up, don't talk about your feelings, man up, you don't cry, you don't, you know, it's like, all of those things are so counterintuitive to the human experience of what mm-hmm. you should actually be doing. You should allow yourself to cry, you should allow that space, you should allow yourself to be in touch with your emotions and and your feminine, because you know, that's the the internal intuitive, like, that's the feminine side, that we don't really, the the masculine, even, even if you were to be, like, consider yourself Male and straight, like you should still be allowed to be in touch with the feminine side. And I don't, I think that's fundamentally maybe where things, that's the first domino that topples this whole other thing is that we're just not allowing people the space to embrace all aspects of themselves in ways that is conducive to respect and compassion for one another.
1: Do you think that masculinity is toxic?
0: Uh, you know, growing up, that was another thing for me is like all of the men that I found myself surrounded by, I never understood them. And I was very, um, unnerved and, uh, by them and I, I didn't understand them. So I, I never felt like one of them. I was like, it didn't make sense to me. So mm-hmm. my experience is like, yeah, I've seen a lot of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and, and it's, um, I don't, but I would never say that all of it is because you can't make like absolute statements like that. There's so much variation, you know, Mm -hmm. but I would say there is, there is a certain like mainstream problem with it. I would say of where we're at in this, this moment in time,
1: I would argue that there's nothing toxic about masculinity, at least inherently. So sure. Talks masculine. I'll say it this way. Masculinity is not inherently toxic and femininity is not inherently virtuous.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Because when, usually when I hear someone talk about toxic masculinity, they are speaking from a place of hurt and reactionary opinions. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think if you look at humanity, and when I say humanity, I'm talking about across all cultures as far back into history as we can see, that without masculinity, you wouldn't have culture because there would be no nations and without masculine characteristics of of aggression and strength and protection, I think, traditionally speaking, the role of masculinity in a culture, in a society, and this again is kind of revering the family as the cornerstone of society, is the man, because physically men are stronger and larger, you know, hunter-gatherer societies, that they were the ones who were more capable of doing that work. And so that was their role. So it's they have to be more aggressive. The same aggression that brings home a deer for the family to eat, or a mammoth, depending on what millennia we're speaking of. <laughs> um, also at home has the, the feminine side that's bearing the children and feeding the children from her breast and collecting berries and you know and and things from the earth for the children to eat. And so her role as the feminine side of that is to nurture and to, because humans are born weak. We have to kind of stumble around on this earth for 14 or 15 years before we can go off into the world in a developed body and with a developed mind to function in society. Mm -hmm. And so to have both of those, Ends of the spectrum, nurturing this child into adulthood, I feel like is necessary. So I don't feel like masculinity is toxic and I don't feel like femininity is virtuous. And a lot of what we label today as toxic masculinity is lack of civility lack of development, lack of solid cultural definitions. Look at the number of families since 1960 that are single-parent households. And I, you can, you can directly correlate, if you plot the data in an Excel spreadsheet, you can directly correlate, I mean, directly. I mean, it doesn't take rocket science to do this. It takes 10th grade math. You can directly correlate that since the 60s, Divorce rates have soared. Single-family households have soared. And so has a lot of violent crime. And so have depression rates. And I feel like since the 60s, at least within the United States of America, within this country, as we have begun to unravel the family as the cornerstone of society, that it's kind of taken us to where we are now. And I feel like it does young men a disservice to not channel and harness that masculinity and groom them into being strong and productive men for strong and productive women.
0: I think you're bringing up some really fascinating perspectives about like gender roles throughout time. I think there's a direct correlation of like gender roles and stuff to like it linked to like what are we as a species what is our overall purpose you know what i mean is it are we here just to propagate and like replicate or but but yet we have all of this capacity to like explore really abstract intense concepts that are so beyond just reproduction you know what i mean so i think if I i like it's this i'm having this thought now i think it's important for us to to maybe to better understand gender roles and like things like that it's like we need to understand like our purpose, really. You know, like, What are we here for? You know, And that's something that I don't know if anybody knows.
1: <laughs> well, just like I said earlier, when in, Ch- in Cherokee society, when a child was known to be a non-yehi, then that child was put in contact with the current non-yehi standing to learn her ways. Mm-hmm. And the child that showed the talent or the gift, if you will, to be a medicine person was put in contact with him to be groomed into that way. And that helped the tribe, mm-hmm. You know, not everyone in the tribe needs to be a medicine person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not everyone in the tribe needs to go to war and to go kill deer. You know, you need some people at home sewing the dresses and picking the berries and drying the meat and cooking the food. I'm a good cook, by the way. <laughs> so there's a place for all of those people. So when I speak of traditional gender roles, I'm not being exclusive of people who don't fit within them. Mm-hmm. There will always be biological males who are way more feminine than some of the biological females, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And those children need to be groomed and allowed to bloom into what they can become so they can be productive and, and experience fulfillment. You know, I want to see people come home at the end of every day and be proud of what they did for themselves and what they did for their loved ones. And I want them to have loved ones. I'm so sick of seeing good people in the LGBTQ whatever letter community be shut out by their families and not be allowed to explore who they are or what they want to become. And I feel like we're muddying the water with so much politicism and tribalism today that the pressure that we're putting on these young kids to conform to one thing or another, you can dye your hair purple and pink all day and call yourself a nonconformist, but you're conforming to the pink and purple haired community. And I just want to beat my hand on the table and say, you don't have to find out who you are and go be that and be good at it. Mm
0: -hmm. And you like, you've seen like you see those, that kind of dynamics manifest in like, I know it's different, but like, it, subcultures and stuff like, you know, like let's just say for instance, like the goth subculture, it, it was created because it was a uh, nonconformist or punk rock, you know? And then, but then all of those things started to ve- to develop a definition of what that was. And then it, then it, it became its own kind of conformist to its own idea. Of, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if there's any way around that, but you know, that's, we're just seeing that play out in, in many different ways, you know,
1: <laughs> you said, you said punk, um, when I was 14, I was always a musician. Uh-huh. When I was 14, I had a keyboard. Uh, I was not popular, and I never had a friend in school, ever, ever. For 12 years, I got beat up every day, and I never had a friend in school. Some of the girls were friendly-ish to me because I was funny. And even though I was beat up all the time, I was still kind of a bit of a comedian and played the role of the jester and the clown in that little society of high school but people knew that I was musical so there were two guys that had this garage band and they wanted me to be in their band because I was the only one that could actually play an instrument and so we formed this little punk rock band called the dregs of humanity yes and I was kind of like the circus freak all through high school. So it was a very hush-hush thing. It was like, hey, can you come over and play with us in our garage and we won't tell anybody kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, okay. And for me, it was great because I got to be around other you know, kids. Otherwise, at the end of school, I would run as fast as I could to get away from there. And I spent the rest of the day in nature. You know, My family was very kind of half Cherokee, half white. So we had a huge garden. Our life revolved around our harvest and our garden and food collection. And, and so, you know, I usually had to go home and work in the garden every day. So most of my life was not spent around other kids. So for me, that was like this great fun thing to do. And so I get how when young people go through that age of not fitting in with the middle of the bell curve, they look for their other home. Mm -hmm. I was one of those kids and I have a friend now whom I love who has two children and one child is declaring himself as now a male to female transsexual, transgender person and his daughter is now saying she's non-binary and part of me thinks it may be legitimate but then a part of me thinks that there's so much talk about these things on the media that, ooh, it's exotic and cool to be that and I don't fit in with the middle of the bell curve in this little place where I live. So I must be non-binary. And so they grab that bumper sticker, they slap it on their forehead, figuratively speaking, and they go try to be that. And I think that can be harmful in some ways. Because I think at that age, these children probably don't even know yet. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. I definitely don't want to speak for them. But I do know that I had a friend who's a drag queen who... Uh, a couple of years ago it became fashionable for drag queens to do this reading books to children thing. Mm -hmm. I personally never saw the connection. Most of the drag queens that I knew were basically illiterate. So to see one even read a book to themselves was a major feat. But uh, (laughs) my friend did this, let's go read books to children thing. And so there was a lot of talk about that. So then the next step was this church invited him to go speak this group of young people. And so in a group of 22 young people, 12 of them said that they were one of the letters of the LGBTQ thing. And I thought that doesn't add up. Out of 22 children in a Methodist church in Dalton, Georgia, of all places, I'm sorry, but statistically, it's impossible for 12 of them to be that type of sexuality or non-conforming with society. It's just statistically impossible. And I feel like the only way that could have happened is because of all of the media buzz that it's getting. Because when you take a young child who's trying to find themselves and they see this, you know, this person on television with the big pink hair and the three inch long nails, and it's all glamorous and fabulous, and it really is fabulous. Her nails are to be immortalized in legend. They're perfect. But um, I can see how a child could look at that and go, ooh, I want that recognition. I want that notoriety because they're being, just like you know you and I experienced growing up, either physically beaten up or mentally beaten down mm-hmm. for being who and what they are. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, hey, here comes this person that's, that's non-binary or that's a drag queen and, and they get celebrated for what they are. So I would much rather be celebrated than beat up or beat down so i want to go be that and i just think it muddies the waters a bit i don't even know if i'm making sense with what i'm saying but
0: i I, I hear what you're saying yeah i i think um i mean to the the flip side of that you know it's i think kids find inspiration in all things you know and and just seeing i don't know if i necessarily see anything wrong with like children being exposed to that because it's just another pathway of being you know, and it's also, again, it's like a, it's expanding the perspective, right? But but I, I do see what you're saying. But also what I think is strange is that drag in itself, I and this is a huge conversation we probably, like, we could maybe just touch on a little bit, but, like, I think we could do a whole episode on this. Drag, don't get me wrong. I love drag. I think it's amazing. Um, but I think now that, we're, now that the discussion is developing around all of these uh, gender identities and gender, it sort of feels strange that, like, The main, the mainstream view of anybody has of varying genders is drag queens, which a drag queen is a self-identifying man who dresses as a parody of a woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so that's society's mainstream reference now, you know, because when I um, go out or I, when I, when I, you know, present as feminine, a lot of people, especially in the beginning, they, they're like, oh, like, I love your drag, you know? And it's like, but I'm not doing drag. I'm not on a stage. I'm not performing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm showing you me who I really am, you know? So that's why I I have this strange, like philosophically, I'm, I'm trying to unpack, um, a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that like I've, I posted about it online and stuff and it was kind of like a little bit of a hot button issue. But it's something to think about, you mm-hmm. know, that like men portraying bloated caricatures of femininity mm-hmm. are, are somehow what is most socially known about any like that's that's dipping the toe into like gender, mm-hmm. you know. But but it's also that's all performance, you yeah, know.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think part of that just goes back to the ignorance of society at large that they think, oh, all drag queens are gay or drag queens are transgender or transsexual or trans something. And, you know, most drag queens are just professionals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To me, I was a drag queen for three years before before I transitioned. Mm-hmm. And it was because I was a performer. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a stage performer. I'm a musician. Uh, part of my stage act was to sing a live song in every performance, and the other two would be lip synced. and. I love drag. It's this beautiful, expressive art form. And Mm -hmm. I especially love comedy drag because I love to laugh, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of fun and a lot of wonderful talent and artistry that happens on the stage. And it's not all cat fighting and ugly stuff. I actually worked with a troupe of drag queens in Chattanooga, Tennessee, who did charity work. And once a month we would host a benefit and the money raised in that benefit would go help the gay community. Uh, We donated money to the children's hospital and we donated money to Toys for Tots at Christmas. And so the money that we raised went to all different kinds of charities and I'm still in touch with those people today and hold such a deep respect and a deep love for them. And I've seen members of that community fall and the other members will rush in and help her pay her rent and I saw someone move to a new space and someone showed up in a pickup truck with a washer and dryer and said, here you go. Now you can have clean clothes. And I've just seen a lot of wonderful things out of that community. So it's not all just what you see on the media,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but unfortunately that's all that mainstream America sees is mm-hmm. the cat fighting on RuPaul's Drag Race yeah. and a lot of the sexual, like overtly sexual blatantness of drag, which sometimes can be funny too in the right audience. but. <laughs> You know, I don't even have trouble with drag queens reading for children. Anything that promotes literacy to me is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be a school teacher, but as long as it's not sexual, I don't want a drag queen reading to children with cleavage down to her knees. You know, I don't think that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you want to sit there nicely dressed and read to a child, hey, that's a lot of fun. Go, go for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, drag is kind of its own thing. And I think there's a lot of muddying the waters and confusion that happens, because uh, not all drag queens are one thing, just like not all transsexuals are one thing, and not all non-binary people are one thing. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a lot of variation out there, but I think that we can have clear definitions for these different communities so they can meet. I think it would be helpful, actually, because take you, for instance, like if you are labeling yourself now as non-binary, that might not be what you label yourself as in two years or Mm -hmm. five years. But if you're not allowed to explore that now, how the heck would you know? So how wonderful would it be if you were able to connect with other people going through what you're going through and also to connect with people who have been there, done that and come out on the other side and to learn from their perspective. You know, when I moved to California four and a half years ago, a wonderful angel named Alicia Brevard had taken me under her wing, and she was a mentor to me. We're both from Tennessee originally, and uh, Alicia Brevard was an actress in the 60s, and no one knew she was trans. She was in movies with, uh, it was either Don Knotts or Don Rickles, and uh, she's been in two or three like major, major, major Hollywood films. And then she later became a professor of drama and theater and taught at some school in California. I don't know where. And we connected and I guess she saw something in me and we we connected and started talking on Facebook. She eventually shared her phone number with me. And, you know, I thought, you know, I was this struggling person in, in Tennessee trying to think, how the hell am I going to get out of this this you know, hell hole that I'm living in and get to where I can have a better life. And Alicia Brevard just gave me her phone number, you know, (laughs) but I looked to her as an elder and she had been there, done that. And I learned so much from her. We would speak about once every two weeks or so on the phone. And then we would talk back and forth on messenger a lot. So when I moved to California, I called her. I said, Alicia, guess where I am? She said, where are you, honey? And I said, I'm in Oklahoma, and I'm about to cross the border into whatever the next state was, and I'm on my way to California. She said, Oh, thank God, you're good. Gr- it's it's waiting for you. We're waiting for you. You're going to make it, kid. You got grit. She always called me kid. And um, so I got to California, and I moved into the little place where I was staying for that first month, and uh, got settled in. And she was in hospice already when I called, so I got settled in. And to make a long story short, she passed away. So I never got to go see her in person, but she was a mentor to me. And to have her is kind of that. I looked to her as someone who had succeeded and achieved things that I wanted to achieve, you know. And she wasn't a drag queen who was still performing at the age of sixty in smoky bars.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She was a respected member of her community and in her society. And I wanted to be just like her, you know, and how wonderful would it be for you to connect with non-binary people who had achieved something that you want to achieve. So you could have that example and that hope and that inspiration to pull you forward. And I don't see a lot of hope and inspiration coming out of what I see on social media now. I see, you know, a lot of perversion. Well, that sounds judgmental, but I see a lot of a lot of just negativity and attack and it's not healthy. Yeah.
0: And I, I really think that the more I get into all of this, I see, I really think all of the negativity and all of the the issues, it, trauma is the foundation of all of that, you know? And I think that if we can genuinely connect with each other within the community, we can start genuinely connecting with people outside of the community. And that's what's most important is genuine connection because in connection, we find understanding. And I really think that, uh, I think we're moving that way. I think everything seems so chaotic and, and crazy right now because conversations that need to have be had are, are happening, you know, and, and I, I, I'm forever the optimist and I really believe in us. And I think that we're going to figure it out.
1: You yeah. Know? Yeah you've talked about trauma a lot and i do think trauma plays a role in all of this to a great degree so what do we do as humans to look at our trauma and not let it control us any longer that's something that i've wrestled with you know i was i was sexualized at the age of eight and So I'm always very, and maybe that's why I'm kind of more on the conservative side of things now, because I never want to see a child go through what I went through. And uh, I will fight sweat, blood, and tears to keep a child safe at all expense. We all go through different kinds of trauma. And it took me a lot of, you know, I never had money to go to therapy. You know, I grew up poor, Um, although I'm well-educated, you know, it, took a lot of work for me to put myself through school and do what I did, but we all go through trauma. And as I've reached the age of 50, I've had friends in their 40s, 50s, and 60s and beyond who still let the trauma of their teenage years define them now. And I wish that we could find a way for people to work through that trauma and leave it in the past. Mm And I feel like, fortunately, I've been able to do a lot of that. I'm sure I still have my my quirks, and sometimes there's a skeleton in the closet or two that comes up to haunt me. But I think for the most part, I've learned how to live my life as a well-adjusted woman who is loved by her friends and by most of her family. And, you know, I have a decent job, and I'm trying to better myself and... I want to reach out to friends and have legitimate, honest-to-God human connections with people like you that I love and respect. And I want everyone to have that without being defined by those experiences of the past. So I think what I would say to you is I think it's healthy that you're asking these questions right now. I think it's healthy that you're trying different things. Some of them are going to work great and some of them are going to fail. And that's good. Leave leave them in the dirt and keep on walking forward. But yeah, I think if we had clearer definitions of these different differentiations between different—I won't say conditions or variations, but different ways of life, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term—you know, transsexual versus non-binary versus transvestite versus you know whatever other definitions. I think those clear definitions in the end would serve a greater, higher purpose because you could connect with people that have had that experience and that you can learn from. Absolutely. And that would help you grow. I think in a, in a bigger, better way. I want you to have your own personal Alicia Rivard. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: yeah. I, and I, I, I think it's really great that we're able to have this conversation and then share it with other people because I think other people are gonna um, find a lot in what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, we've we've talked about so much, but we barely scratched the surface of everything that we want to talk about. But I think we like we can save that for next time because um, there's like way, so many more things I want to talk mm-hmm. about, and I'm sure that you want to talk about too. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for. For just sitting down with me and like let's, it, it, I, there's so much to talk about. I would love it if we just do this as a reoccurring thing. If you would, if you'd be down,
1: I'm totally in. Awesome. I'm totally in. And maybe it would help if, the next time we meet, that because I think today we were all over the place because we just cracked the egg.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've you've spoken about having people, from your kind of your professional persona who have turned their back on you because of this exploration phase that you're going through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to those people, I would say, you know, give someone a chance, learn more about transsexualism, learn more about non-binary identities. You don't have to agree with everything you learn or read, but I think it, it, it behooves us all to, to learn the facts. And there are a lot of people going through this experience. You're not the only one. So um, just have a more open heart and give people a chance. And are you going to encounter grifters and people who are hijacking one identity or another just for attention? There's some of that in every, in every realm of humanity. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, give people a chance because you may have a child or a relative or even just a friend who's going through this and it's it's not an isolated thing it it does happen in humanity we are 0.6 percent of humanity so out of every 200 people statistically 1.2 of them are going to be like me or like you so uh, those that 1.2 people out of 200 deserve to be heard and deserve a chance and they deserve their own happiness and their own place in this beautiful world that we live in
0: absolutely what a way that like on, like that was the perfect way to, to end this episode I think um, if you do you uh, do you have like any do you, Instagram you want to let people know where you can find you anything you want to promote while, while you're here
1: oh my god not right now no okay. I don't I'm kind of shut down on social media just because it's become so toxic yeah. recently. But uh, that can change.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to have you back like plenty of times. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for for sitting down with me and just having this really um, deep and, and wonderful talk. I'm really grateful that we had.
1: Thank you. And I love you. I love you too.
2: And to anybody listening out there, like, I love you too. Amen.